Um, so we're having a look at culture change, but we're having a look at it through the lens of social psychology, and I'll explain what that means in a second. This is, and the other thing to note, this is about culture change. This is the focus. And if you go into the kind of research, they typically they use this kind of language for looking at change programs, but particularly culture change, things like active and passive change. Um, oops, uh, active and passive change, purposeful and natural. Uh, episodic and incremental and all three of these so the active purposeful and episodic usually are associated with intentional change and the passive natural and incremental tend to be associated with the kind of change that's just ongoing in the, just part of the present fall of, of cultures and then Lastly, the kinds of things that you'll see in the papers is this idea of press and balance. We've covered this in a few research briefings. So the whole idea about press and balance is press is the more purposeful thing and balance when things tend to be a bit calmer. But as I say, you'll see these kinds of terms kind of coming through. And we're talking about this thing here called social psychology so what's that what we're talking about and what social psychology tends to talk about are these types of things things around social influence so influence across groups or populations social cognition how groups think and larger larger populations and things how they come to have similar kind of cognitions about things how fashions flow across memes and things like that flow across populations group dynamics from small groups right up to large organizations and societies and things like that uh, self identity becomes a core concept in social psychology largely from the perspective that we create our own identity or we perceive our own identity in comparison to other people around us and in comparison to the kind of groups that we're a member of and they help us create an identity, both our identity and the kinds of groups that we like to be associated with. Attitude formation, particularly within groups. Persuasion and influence across groups, how people persuade and influence each other but also how groups have an influence on other groups or on processes and things like that prejudice and social bias so prejudice usually within systems social biases and those kinds of things and obviously relationships because the whole idea of social psychology is built on this the idea of interactions between human beings so they're the kinds of things that that social psychologists tend to look at and what we're looking at is we're looking at culture change from this perspective. We're, we're applying a kind of psychological concepts to understand social phenomena. So it's a very particular kind of lens. Now, the reason why we're doing this session now is we had a look at change in the last session. But since then, there's a new systematic review being released from Stanford University looking at 
what kind of where we're at with the state of play in terms of research, peer-reviewed research to do with culture change particularly. And anyway, yeah. One of the things that one of the early models from about 1998 is this thing called the culture cycle. And a lot of the a lot of the work that's done in social psychology around culture, culture development, culture change and things tends to be through this thing called the culture cycle. And it has four four levels, if you are, of kind of analysis and looking at things. There's the individual, what's going on with the individual. So psychological, how people are thinking, how they're reacting as individuals. Their interactions with each other, so an interactional perspective on things and how they're working with other people. There's an institutional level as well, and that tends to be looking at kind of the laws and policies and practices that go on in institutions. So some of them are formal and some of them are informal. They're not actually laid out, but they definitely have a set of ways of doing things. And then lastly is what's known as the ideal level of analysis. Now, what that means is looking at the concepts that are inherent within cultures and the assumptions around what status quo is for them, about what and who is good, what's moral within those within those cultures, who and what is considered to be powerful, so what power is about within those cultures, who and what's considered to be effective within those cultures, and why. So they're very much about concepts and getting underneath the concepts about the assumptions that are being made with, within and across the culture. And so the cycle itself looks a little bit like this it's more of a matrix so it started out as cycle the idea was that you'd actually go you'd bear in mind that there it's a psychological perspective on social phenomena that you start out with what's going on with individuals you bounce up to having a look at how they're interacting with people what's going on within the institutions and then you start to unpack what's going on in the ideas now that was the model as it was in 1998 we've got these we cut across all of those now and certainly the latest thinking is that you don't actually need to do this as a cycle comparing contrasting and working out how each of these impacting each other becomes most useful when you're trying to work out what's going on within a culture so you'll see a lot of research referring to this idea of the culture cycle that's now moved into a kind of a, a culture matrix. So let's have a look. So the systematic review, what it found was when it started to have a look at all of the, the peer-reviewed research, they found that with culture change, there are a set of seven principles that apply that are there's good evidence for, good research evidence for, and this is what they are. We'll just quickly go through those. So the first principle is that the people are shaped by and shapers of the culture. Now, most people know that, they get it, and there's nothing unusual about that. But what the evidence is showing is what that means within culture and how powerful that thought is. So 
the first realization of all of this is that means that if you're going to change the culture, it and I know this sounds a bit daft, but quite often people they try to change culture by PowerPoint. Here's the strategy. Tell everybody what the culture is going to be. And here, start acting like this and it'll change the culture. And what they're saying is actually the culture's got to change through the people. And they're the people who are going to change it, not some outside consultants or anybody else. It's got to be the people within the culture, which means that the people in the culture are the agents of change. And that's quite a powerful kind of realisation that, quite a lot of people, particularly in kind of management circles, don't quite get that it's not one or two kind of champions of change. The whole culture becomes the agents of change. So you're handing over that power. The second idea is this idea of meaning, that people are creating meaning within the culture and that they're part of and participate in creating meaning. And they derive the meaning also from the culture. So we've got this kind of two-way thing going on that in order to create change, there's kind of two things going on. There's the people and the situation that they're in. So the culture that they're in, the institution that they're in, the location, the department, whatever it happens to be. And those two things go together. They together help to not only create the culture, but help to change the culture. And what that means is that they're co-constructing each other. And what that therefore further means is if you want to create culture change, both of those things have got to change the situation and the people. You'll, there's a lot in the research around um, changing people's thoughts and actions requires altering their surrounding world, including their interactions, who they interact with, the nature of the interactions, the practices, the norms and the narratives that go on within that culture. And part of this story, these principles, as you'll start to see, is a realisation of how complicated culture change is and it like and i see as i say i see like sets of powerpoint slides that you send those out to the everybody in the business and that'll do it no using the culture cycle so the culture cycle kind of becomes central in this and because it illustrates the kind of dynamic interplay between the four aspects of the culture, the ideas, institutions, interactions, and individuals known as the, the four eyes. And that the, the model itself becomes a useful tool for understanding and facilitating intentional uh, culture change. And the next thing that comes out of the research is that whilst cultures shape individuals, it doesn't do that uniformly. It doesn't have the same impact on everybody. And it doesn't have the same impact on every group, for example. And therefore, there's a lot of monitoring going on if you're engaged in culture change because you're not quite sure what's affecting what until you start to see some kind of reaction. And so things like differences in power, 
where you are within the organization hierarchy and things like that the resources you've got access to your status they all affect individuals ability to influence or resist cultural norms and change and whether they're likely to go with it or resist it that groups and collectives become important in all of this so it's not just about the individuals it's about the groups that they form and individuals can be in a number of different groups and have conflicting values in different groups as well so that people aren't the same people in the set in different groups and that becomes important and what happens is people tend to work together to either create change or resist it very rarely do people stand out on their own so they create collectives and they create people around them or are attracted to people who have similar views about things that need changing things that they like and they don't like within cultures and what that means is cultures are not neutral they have an agenda all cultures have an agenda they're doing something and they're doing it in a certain way and therefore they have an inherent set of assumptions about how the world should work they've got a, an inherent set of biases every culture has a set of biases and what are known as cultural defaults which we'll come back to these are like heuristics or just ways of being that they don't question and that creating change requires altering both individual behaviors and institutional or organizational practices and policies and it involves recognizing and addressing biases and defaults embedded in the cultural systems themselves what it means is the culture cycle is used as a, a process of analysis as well as we'll see a tool for targeting where to aim your efforts with culture change we'll have a look at this in, in a little bit more detail in a second this is a second principle that it's critical to identify map and evaluate the key areas of the culture to effectively create change and central to this is the culture change cycle or the culture cycle because it's the thing that you use largely for mapping out the key components in the culture and identifying the levers of change, which we'll see in a minute. And it applies to any culture from broad national cultures right down to micro cultures and institutional cultures as well. That once the key parts of the culture are identified using the culture cycle, they can be used to evaluate culture and locate where the target intentional culture check, where we should be targeting our efforts. Because we start to see where the conflicts are, where people's values are, where the core values are for the system. And it's those core values, you'll see in a minute, become the main levers for getting change, agreement to change. And then we can use the culture cycle for working out what the 
or pinpointing these cultural defaults. So, for example, gender biases that sit within a work in a workplace culture. And by evaluating each level of the culture through the cycle, you can identify where changes are needed and implement strategies for, in this case, a more inclusive and balanced culture. Usually we set out with a an aim in mind for the culture change. There's an issue that we're trying to deal with. The next principle is that culture change requires considering both top-down, doing both top-down and bottom-up change. What tends to happen in most organizations is the top that bring in the consultants and they initiate the change usually but some culture change will come from the bottom up particularly if they're not happy with the status quo they don't like what's going on or in some organizations learning organizations they'll be bringing things in through open innovation and change will be occurring that way the point of this is that if it's the top if it's top down that's initiated this there's a lot of studies showing that the people at the top tend to initiate a culture change for the other people not for themselves and what they're doing in the culture change is it's all about them and it's about protecting their power and status while shaking everybody else up and that's a common three theme across, across quite a lot of uh, cultural evaluations and research. Now, oops, and understanding the nature of both bottom-up and top-down culture change gives you a real kind of advantage, helps you understand how to do both. And the the, the more successful culture change programs tend to have both going. We tend to see what the, the issues are that are needed from the bottom up, understanding what's going on at the bottom, how they're perceiving the world, and what they see as the injustices within the system, what they see as needing change, because you can use that. It, firstly, it helps you to see what the core values are there, but they are the levers of change for them. And then the same to, um, top down. And missing out on that becomes a real problem and there's been a few studies showing that um culture change initiatives that don't go anywhere tend to be because they're just doing one or the other and not considering both the next thing is about alignment and aligning both the stories from the top and the bottom but also as we're designing the culture and and trying to create a new culture that we're trying to get alignment across from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top. And a lot of the failures also come from a lack of alignment. This understanding this also helps us understand what the power dynamics are within the system. So who's got the power, what power, and not the assumption that everybody at the top's got the power and nobody at the bottom has. That's not the case in network systems. It also enables you to work out where the strategic coalitions are within the organization. And there will be strategic coalitions. So it's understanding where they are, where what their agenda is, because you can use them for leveraging change. But you'll also be able to work out where 
resistance is likely to come from as well. So people tend to coalesce into groups for resistance purposes, as well as gather people around them because they're the people who want change and a specific change. And the culture cycle can be used to detect the clashes between these coalitions and the power dynamics within and across the organization. And usually what happens in terms of organizational changes aimed at these five things, structure, the strategy, the systems, policy, and procedures. And what the systematic review is saying is that changing those does not change the culture. It may change elements of the culture, but on its own, it will not change the culture. You need to start to understand what's going on in the culture. And quite often what happens, and we'll come back to this on, an, on another slide, if we either just do that or we just go for the culture change and not look at this, we tend to get what's known as cultural drift, where things start to go back to how they were pretty quickly because we haven't actually got some of the systematic drivers going the next principle is about finding cultural core values and leveraging them because they are the most powerful elements to target. So if you can find out what the core values are within a culture and across a culture, you can leverage those for creating change. And, and there's two parts to this. One is identifying what the core values are of people in the culture within there and using that. The other thing is it helps to identify where the ingrained biases and the defaults tend to be because this, the other side of this, of using the values, is to challenge the biases and the cultural defaults, and that's where the trouble starts. And quite often, a lot of change initiatives only try to do one thing and they don't challenge the biases and the defaults and they stay in the system. And if they stay in the system, we get a faster cultural drift back. So finding out what the shared beliefs and norms are, really important, working out what the cultural biases are, and it's about dealing with both using the values and the biases and working out whether they're what they want and how we're going to challenge them and working out this whole idea about cultural biases and cultural defaults. And they, the cultural defaults are the things in the organization that usually just appear to be normal. Nobody questions them and they're, they're seen as neutral but actually they tend to advantage the dominant groups within the organization. They're there for a reason. This is how we think. This is how we think about productivity. This is how we think about. So we get these ways of thinking about things that actually are there because those dominant groups are using them. Now they may need to be challenged. Quite often they are. If we affirm shared values, they tend to be the leverage for change. And then this whole idea about cultural drift. And cultural drift can go both ways. It can either move the organization back to where it was if you're not monitoring it, or 
it can move it forward and into new areas. But if you're not monitoring the change, then you don't know where it's going. So there's quite a lot of monitoring going on with cultural change. And looking out for entrenched biases and defaults and challenging them. And that will help to work out where the cultural defaults are, the, the things that nobody is questioning. And they tend to be the most powerful things. So if you can find them and start to question them, what tends to happen is the change tends to occur quicker. But it's also the point at which the most conflict occurs. So, And the other thing is working out, we'll come back to this on another slide, about what the broader impact and consequences are of the change, because quite often you won't know. You've got no way of predicting, and that's why the monitoring becomes important. You've got to start to see what's starting to emerge and move with it. And a lot of this is about working out what the power and status dynamics are which we'll come on to now. So this is the principle five, which is about resistance. And from a social psychological point of view, resistance tend to stem from two things, which are power struggles and identity threats, and also reactions to the uncertainty and discomfort of change. So once we know that, there's a few things that we can start to look for. Again, using the culture cycle, where are the demands for culture change coming from and what are they? Where, do the power, where does the power sit within the organisation? And it doesn't always have to be hierarchical. As I say, there can be coalitions that become really powerful in terms of changing the way people think you can find a node within a network and you can find a little cluster of people that are actually having a huge influence and they can be used really usefully and if you don't recognize them and they're there they can also be quite a seat for resistance and kibosh the whole thing resistance should be seen as a response to change and if you start to think of it in that term what happens is you become more curious about it where is it coming from and what is it within this idea of power struggles and identity threats or to do with uncertainty and discomfort that's creating the resistance rather than just going, don't resist or be open to change, the usual kind of things that they do in organisations. You're not flexible enough. Yeah. Power struggles are important in all of this. Understanding, recognising that power struggles are typical and they're typical within any culture anyway, and certainly within culture change situations, and that if you're engaged in any form of culture change, you really should be anticipating that there is going to be resistance at some level. And creating strategies to engage those people to work out what's going on underneath it. Throughout change, there's going to be shifting power dynamics, and that makes people really uncomfortable because they're not too sure where they are and what power they have. And that becomes an issue. So quite a lot of the resistance comes from that, that shifting power dynamics and the uncertainty. And there's big difference across the organization, both individual and cultural perceptions of change. 
can be vastly different in different areas of the organization. So making the assumption that we know what people are thinking about the change based on small samples usually doesn't work, particularly if it's not sampled right across the organization. And again, this idea of uncertainty and, and discomfort. And a lot of the research is saying with this is that this needs to be open. That everybody within the organization who's undergoing some form of change should be expecting uncertain stuff, not knowing what's going on, and they should be expecting to be uncomfortable and noting that they are. That's part of change. And what happens in a lot of organizations is they try to stifle these things. They try to create certainty and they try to take away the discomfort. And it's like a manipulation and it tends not to work. So with change events, there's quite a lot of good peer-reviewed research showing that change events, the more successful ones, are where these are recognized part of the change process. We are going to be, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on that we hadn't anticipated. We don't fully know what's going to happen with this. And this may not be comfortable. There may be things we don't like in this, but we need to be open about it and collect that data as opposed to managers doing this a lot, trying to create, yeah, this is exactly what's going to happen as a result of this, usually for their own benefit but it's not doing anybody any favors. And then principle six is this about the interconnectedness of cultures. Cultures are not isolated. They're connected to other cultures. And therefore what's going to happen is there will be unforeseen outcomes because you can't predict them all. And quite likely there's going to be a backlash either within the culture or in another culture about what are you doing to that culture and those kinds of things. But that's also the case of we've got a culture here, for example, and another one up here that's creating change. They're going to be interacting. And you can get these where this culture here is changing and this one here is changing, and large-scale change starts to happen here because of these two shifting. So you find that in industries, for example, where a particular group or a, a, a particular influential organization starts culture change and, the, and it starts spreading across the entire industry in unforeseen ways. So it's being aware of that and looking for backlashes from other places. The cultures, again, this cultural drift, cultures quite often as a result of the feedback they're getting from outside of the culture then start to slide back because it creates discomfort in the other cultures. They don't like it. So they start to exert pressure in order to return it to the status quo. So there are pressures from outside that culture usually. And the recognition that all change tends to exacerbate conflict. So if you've got conflicts in the system, either between cultures or within the culture, any change that's going on in there quite often will make that conflict worse for a while. And it's about understanding where those conflicts are. Again, the culture cycle helps here to analyze what's going on, work out where those conflicts are and what 
other connections this culture what else it's connected to and again working out individual and cultural perceptions of the change they're not going it's not going to be uniform across the culture or outside even and this particularly for managers who are starting trying to create a, a culture change where they go yeah three months it'll be done <laughs> yeah it's a continuous process it's iterative you're getting feedback you've got to keep changing things you set this off we're in for the long haul here and it will settle down but with cultural drift and things we still keep need to monitor it and these quite often people will come into an organization to create culture change from the outside which is an issue given that the cultures the people right so it's the people within the organization not so much people outside of the organization understanding how messy this is this isn't it doesn't look like the powerpoints and then the last principle is this whole idea about timing and readiness and there's a couple of things here there's the speed of the change whether it's going to be gradual or rapid and that's going to change throughout the change process with with intentional change and this is why monitoring is so important. You'll find there are points at which it's going too slow or too fast, and you need to just slow things down to allow people to catch up or systems to catch up or something we hadn't thought about, and suddenly this system is no longer aligned with what we're doing. Understanding the history of previous changes and history of the organisation becomes quite important, particularly history of changes. We talked a bit about in the last session about this whole idea about a lot of the flexibility in an organization comes out of change events. And if those change events haven't been very good, there's going to be more resistance. Looking for unintended consequences, we, we've touched on that. And then this idea about readiness for change. And that is usually characterized by two things. Firstly, openness within the system so people are listening people are thinking and they're not closed off and that there's a positive attitude towards change they want some change those two things create the readiness for change and if you're in a system that's not open and that doesn't want the change you've got a, you've got some persuading to do before you start making sure that it's ready enough for us to go really helps creating shared understandings how we frame all of this and understanding the core values in each of the parts of the system helps us create the framing which is a big lever and then there's this whole idea about being cautious it's okay to slow down and go hang on a minute this is having an impact we hadn't intended and it's not a good one we just need to watch it and start to deal with it some points you may need to stop things deal with something and then start again and then this whole idea that change is non-linear 
just because it's in a PowerPoint doesn't make it linear. You're going to be iterating. You're going to be going backwards. Some things will happen and you don't like it. You're going to have to change those. There are going to be paradoxes that are going to happen. There are going to be tensions that you hadn't predicted. And it's being able to work with those. They're the seven. I'll just quickly go back through those. So you've got those in the thing. Identifying and mapping and evaluating the, the culture that you're best off attacking this from top down and bottom up and that change initiatives that just do one or the other tend not to be very successful. Finding what the cultural core values are is one of the biggest levers for starting to target the change and then working out where the things like biases are and the cultural defaults are because they're the things that quite often cause the problems within the within and allowing the system to see their own biases and where the cultural defaults are the things that they're not thinking about that are just assumptions becomes quite important now those two things is where outsiders are really needed because it's very difficult if you're already in the culture to actually see them this whole idea about resistance coming from largely four places power struggles and identity threats and that we are expecting this to be uncertain and we're expecting to be uncomfortable. This is just part of change. It is uncertain and uncomfortable. If we've got that in our heads, we can cope with anything. And you tend not to get the big, big resistances, backlashes and show stoppers once people accept that. This idea that cultures aren't isolated and are going to interact with each other and you're going to get unintended consequences, it is going to happen. So it's monitoring what's going on around and not just focusing on the inside of the culture and then getting the timing right, getting the speed right, slowing down, stopping if you need to, and that you've got a, a level of readiness where people are open to ideas and they want change as well. There's a positive attitude. They, that's what they're looking for. Now, so they're the seven and just this last thing. So one of the things that kind of came out of the study for me is the complexity and how complicated um, particularly culture change is. And quite often it's sold as a fairly linear, simple, like you do these things and this will happen. It ain't like that. And managers particularly and senior managers particularly need to understand that. They need to get that. So that's the first one. The second one is this that I've just presented you in the, the whole systematic review is through a particular lens, the lens of social psychology. And there are lots of other ways of looking at change. Things like an organizational development perspective, which is a more um, diagnostic process as opposed to more dialogic, which is about the narratives and things that social psychology do pure sociological perspectives. A lot of culture change things occur, they'll bring anthropologists in and they'll do it through there. And that's a completely different lens as well. And they'll come up with different things, ethical lenses or philosophical perspectives, environmental perspectives, technological, political science perspectives, looking at power structures, although social psychology does that to some extent, it tends not to look at the politics too much within the organization. And that can be useful just pure psychological, although that is inherent in social psychology, more historical views of change, economic 
perspectives. Now, the interesting thing about economic perspectives is that tends to be the dominant perspective of the leadership quite often. And that's the driver for a lot of change. So we can have a clash in perspectives and then, or something like feminist perspectives, depending on what's going on within the organization. So the only, the point that I'm making with all of this is there's lots of, each of these have their own assumptions and biases and things that they're looking at. And there isn't, and none of them are right. They're just a perspective. Now, the point of all of this, and this is what we do with the researchers and things, is whatever you're doing, looking at it, whether it's as a consultant, external or internal, you will be coming from a perspective. You will have a theory of practice in your head. And within that, there will be a set of assumptions about the world works, the way change works, what's going on, what you're seeing, how you're perceiving and those kinds of things. And one of the tricks is to pull out and just be able to move into another lens and go hang on a minute these are my assumptions these are the things that i'm not that i think that's the way the world works and it's important quite often to be able to challenge our own assumptions there's a culture cycle on that i'll zip it questions comments thoughts Yeah, I guess my question is, where are examples of really effective measures that address culture change? Because it's got so many facets and levels of complexity in that. And I, I see much more in the line of what doesn't work and hasn't worked and what's failed in terms of measures and acquisitions and things like that than examples of what is what's actually paving the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, so there are quite a few. In fact, I've got a personal one. So I did quite a lot of work for Schroders, and they did a merger and they did a, a an acquisition and a merger that was it wasn't so much a culture change, but what they did and what was quite clever is they used this for working out what the culture of the organisation that they were looking at buying was and how aligned it was with their own culture and where the clashes were likely to be and it was probably one of the most successful um M&As that I've ever seen they loved each other so they weren't the same culture but they were aligned in some really deep core value ways so when they started working together they were going in going oh my god this is brilliant both sides were doing that and I've never seen that approach taken to an M&A, actually. And there's one or two. So in the studies, there was one to do with a... Oh, yeah, it was to do with... After the Lloyd George thing, they Google started a whole thing around diversity. And that became so influential that it started spreading out across the tech industry as well and and they did that they said okay before we start this we need to work out what we're dealing with what the culture's like how they're likely to respond what are the messages that we can send that is going to have an impact 
based on what the values are within the culture, where the resistance is likely to be. And they worked it all out before they actually started with the whole message. And there were one or two papers about that particular change. So, great. David, I, I liked what you said about top down and bottom up. Uh, to add some complexity to that, not that we need more complexity. <laughs> within the groups that are so-called top and so-called bottom, there's so much variety as well. And so my experience has been, particularly, well, particularly for bottom up, is to gauge the, the opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of what change is required. So I, if you could do that, then you really get a rich sense of what's going on and to do the same thing at the top. So I think that's another thing. I, that's probably the interrelationships. You talked about that within the culture, There's there could be dissent or differences. But anyway, that's the layer that I would target. Yeah. And it just goes back to this assumption that's quite often made is that Firstly, culture change isn't going to be perceived uniformly and it's not going to affect people across the organization in a uniform way. And that's why the monitoring is important, because quite often, it's, particularly from leadership, I've seen this where they just think it's fire and forget. If we do these things, it'll all happen. If we tell everybody how to behave, it's fine. You know, you've got no idea what impact is likely to have and what consequences are likely to come out of this. Yeah. David, sorry, my mic was off when I asked the last question. You probably oh. saw my, my lips were moving, but nothing came out, uh, <laughs> which makes a, a change. Um, uh, do you have any links to the the integration, the cultural integration that worked very well? Um, was it... Was yeah, so the Google one has been documented quite a lot. The uh, Schroeder's one, I'm not sure, has, has been... I was just happened to be... Uh, in Schroders at the time that was occurring, and it was around the the whole Black Lives Matter thing, and okay, they so did reason. this. They did it, yeah, and they did a big cultural analysis to work out how they were going to make this change within Google. And it was, as I say, it was so successful, it spread out. And there's there was there's been one or two papers that I've seen that have referred to that particular one. Thank you for that. Yeah, the, there'll be a research briefing, like a special report research briefing coming out this weekend with all of this in it. So all the references are there for you. Anyway. Oh, perfect. OK, yeah. Tick. all right. <laughs> Any other questions, comments or thoughts? Hello. Um... I'm struggling slightly with this because um, of the way in which culture has been talked about as a, a sort of thing you can define and a thing that you can decide that you're going to change in some very specific way and then you can create a set of interventions and then you're going to watch it shift. I'm not, I, I've never experienced it like that, <laughs> bluntly. I, I always like um, Charles Hampton Turner's view that culture is a response to dilemma. And if you want to change the culture, change the dilemma. So if I give you an example, so years and years ago, I used to work in the London Borough of Enfield and there was a, like the director of social services at the time. 
had this extraordinary kind of habit of going around talking about social care systems like it was some sort of menu in a restaurant you've got these things and we can do that and we can do these things and we can do that and stoking expectation in the community about the kinds of services that would be available at the same time if you benchmarks what they were spending that authority on social care it was significantly less than most London boroughs so you created this high expectation low resourcing and the culture that resulted from that then was a bunch of staff who didn't really know how to handle this dilemma. So they became very evasive, very officious, very bureaucratic, you know, all of these kinds of things. And then, of course, the, the, the organisations, the solution to this was like customer care training, when, when in fact, the, the, the very dilemma, like the, the circumstances were really creating. And so if you want to shift that, it isn't about saying we want staff that look like this, talk like this, do these things. You've actually mm. got to really understand the root cause, the root dilemma, if you like, that was because if the organization doesn't resolve that dilemma well, then the staff have to in some way. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's my always been my other notion that, that, that culture is, however inappropriate, it's a solution in operation. And you have to shift, if you like, the, the, the dilemma it's trying to solve. Yeah, and then narrative. That's just my sense of it. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you, actually. Mm. And largely, this is what they're saying is that there's a mm. there's there are ways of analysing the culture rather than making assumptions yeah. about what's going on, and that you need to look at these levels and particularly this. What are the ideas that are going on in the in the organisation exactly as you're saying, and it's working out what those what those conflicts are, what the yes. assumptions are that's going on. So I think they're saying the same thing. It, well, I didn't mean to present that you just do these guys. In fact, the opposite I was trying to present yeah. is that this is really, this isn't an easy thing. You can't, it's not just a set of PowerPoint slides, do these things and this will fall out. It's messy. It's really messy and it's iterative and you've got to get to the narratives, what's going on underneath all of this. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Mm. Anything else? Um, I'd like to raise it's a comment. It's just how this landed with me as, as I'm not really that well informed about culture, uh, as some of you may be. But what occurred to me was as we were talking about um, the power dynamics where the change needs to happen, the layers and hierarchy perhaps, and I thought the situation I have in mind is more looking at vertical. There might be silos, perhaps, but and I'm thinking, how does this pan out in that sort of situation? Because you've got these people both at the various levels and up to the top levels, having almost bringing a new culture into the rest of the organisation and trying to figure out how is this going to land and it does not landing very well but I'm trying to figure out what next and where should I look. Okay, yeah, good point. I think for me the first thing that comes out of all of this is that it's not... The way culture change is often sold is that if you do these things this will happen what this is saying is forget it if you do these things that might happen but it may not be and a lot of other things are going to happen as well 
and it's messy, it's difficult stuff, and you're going to have to monitor what's going on. And any idea that we can predict exactly what's going to happen, you have no idea because of because of all of the factors that are involved and it's complex stuff and it really is a let's see what starts to happen what are the narratives here where what are the coalitions how are people viewing all of this where's the appetite for change what are they trying what do they don't what the what is it that they don't like in here who has things like power and status in the current system and wants the system to stay like it is because those kinds of things can matter. But, and this is where things start, for me anyway, start getting tricky, is once you start facing the leadership with that, that this is where they go, yeah, I think we've had enough now. And I've seen that happen a few times. And it's working out how you're going to frame that. Because it is going to get uncomfortable for people, and particularly people who've got skin in the game who have got a vested interest within the culture. And one of the things this is saying, remember this is only one lens, it's social psychology lens, is that quite often once you start messing around with the power structures in there, these vested interests are going to start reacting. And the question, you need to be prepared for that. How are you going to deal with that? Are these people really wanting change? Or are they just protecting themselves and they hope that everybody else is going to change? And there needs to be a discussion with these people that this isn't... So they understand the nature of this. And I think, personally, quite a lot of things like culture change are set off without anybody really talking it through and saying, have you really thought about this and what you think this is about to do? And I just don't see that narrative often occurring. And that kind of honesty with the whole thing. Yeah, Mois. Just maybe to add to what Maxwell was saying, is the it's the intangible, it's the invisible part that obviously becomes the biggest challenge because it's the part yep. we never see. And 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 that's the irrational as well. So I don't really know how you play in that space because of the nature of it's very nebulous. Yeah, uh, but, and it's about so questioning those assumptions, analysing it, working out where the power dynamics, how those power dynamics are, are playing out becomes an important part of that. And what are the assumptions all this is based on? What do they think they're doing and why? Getting underneath, uh, underneath all of that and trying to come up with something there's a question about why are you wanting this why do we need the change and the change there's change happening anyway we've got this kind of drift going on but quite often we end up with organizations that do have a toxic culture that do have a problem and that something has to shift and there's a question about how do you do that and just sending out a set of powerpoint slides or changing the structure or sacking some managers isn't going to do it Cultures are a lot more, there's that whole thing about cultures, a culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Changing policy isn't going to change. I've seen it with the police where institutionally racist, all right, we'll do these things and that will stop it. Yeah. You've just spent all that money and nothing's happened. Absolutely nothing. So at least this gives you an opportunity and it, there's an honesty about it 
it's just saying, look, this is really massive. You're going to have to monitor it. You're going to have to try some stuff. You're going to have to innovate, see what happens. And you, you're going to have to analyze what's going on first. You go, and as we go along, what are the assumptions being made and those kinds of things, the hidden things? And, and what it's not doing, whilst we've got this nice model that's the cycle, what it's not saying is this is how to do it. It's just saying, look, there's some principles here that tend to work. And if you understand these things, you're in with a better shout. If you understand the complexity of this, you're in with a better shout. If you go in naively, you have no idea what might happen. Probably nothing, actually. So if you want real change, understanding these principles can help, really. Yeah. And and a lot of people, and that I include consultants in this, do not understand the complexity of this. And when you then start to do, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, right? When you then start to go and say, this is just one lens, and then there's all these others, it's like overwhelming. I just look at that and think, well, I wouldn't, some of these, I wouldn't even know how to map out what the, there'll be something somewhere, but they've all got a different perspective on all of this. And it doesn't even mean that these are the right ways of doing it. It's just one lens of doing it. This is complex, horrible, messy stuff. If you've got that in your head and that there are some principles, you're, you're in with a shout. If you think it's easy, you just tell people what to do. You've got a problem. And I just think this is a little bit more honest, that's all. Cool. Thank you. That's it. I hope that's been useful in its messiness, <laughs> complexity. <laughs> Wish there was an answer. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Take care. Okay.